The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Good Morning New York. This is Vince Rocco. I'm your host, and we are coming to you live, as we always do, from New York City in Times Square. Today, here in New York, it is 64 degrees and going to be hotter Yesterday actually was 80, so we are comfortably, I think, out of winter and on our way to summer uh, heat. Uh, a reminder, the polls open at 6 a.m. for the New York Republican and Democratic primaries today, and they will stay open until 9 p.m. tonight. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are still the favorites in their respective contest, but their margins of victory remain uncertain. The GOP could see its biggest turnaround since 2008, thanks to Trump, and this is according to the New York Times. Plus, Clinton and Bernie Sanders have spent the days since their Brooklyn uh, debate pounding the pavement and pleading for votes. Today's turnout will be significant for both parties. Now, turning to real estate. In New York City real estate, the quest for the next hot neighborhood never ends. But spotting an area that is on the rise before it becomes the next big thing is no easy call. The arrival of a farm-to-market table restaurant doesn't guarantee the neighborhood has turned the corner, nor can buyer interest change a rundown area overnight. Just because gentrification is happening doesn't mean crime drops precipitously. It's a process. But buyers who seek the next it neighborhood, rough edges and all, would do well to take their cues from developers and smart agents. Sure, you could follow the artist and hope you find and land in the next Soho, but a better bet may be a neighborhood with access to public transportation and real estate values that are rising but still lower than the surrounding areas. Attractive existing uh, uh, architecture is also a plus. Imminent rezoning is an inviting prospect. A new supermarket is another. So Queens appears to be new hotspot for New York City residents this year. That's according to online real estate website StreetEasy, which recently came out with their 2016 list of New York City's hottest neighborhoods. Five of the top ten uh, hottest neighborhoods are in Queens with Jamaica topping the list. Strong competition in Manhattan and the Prospect Park submarket of Brooklyn may push more buyers to Queens, but there is still a pull factor. Relatively low prices, easy access to large job centers in Midtown Manhattan and Long Island City, and more living space for families will pull more New York buyers and renters towards Queens in 2016. And then, of course, there is the South Bronx. My special guest today is a top New York luxury real estate executive, Louise Phillips Forbes, from the Park Avenue office of Halstead Property. She is known for predicting the next best trends and locations where developers and new homeowners will head in 2016. She has over 25 years of experience and having sold nearly $2 billion in property. Wow. Louise is a leader and widely respected expert in New York City's residential real estate market. For the past few years, she has been named in the Wall Street Journal's Real Estate Top 200 and has been named winner of Halstead's Esteem Broker of the Year Award multiple times since 2002. 
and has been acknowledged as the number one real estate listing broker company-wide. She is widely sought after in the industry. She is a frequent guest lecturer for the Real Estate Board of New York, has been profiled in Avenue Magazine's Influential Woman of the Year, great article, and has been quoted in uh, real estate articles for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and, of course, The Real Deal, and many other notable publications. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Wow, thank you. What an introduction. That is quite an introduction, but it's it's earned and it's it's deserved and it's all of these things. By the way, that article uh, in in about the uh, influential woman of the year was amazing. It really thank was a great article. Thank you very much. So grateful to be here. I'm happy to see you. So before we get into the marketplace, I wanted to mention to my listeners that you know we here um, uh, on Good Morning New York have a series called Superstar Brokers in New York City. So you are obviously are one of them, an elite power broker in Manhattan. You have a large team. I think it's six agents, maybe more, that work with you. Tell us, you know, because they're always trying to coach new people in Absolutely. the business. How can an agent reach the heights that you have and not only get there, but stay there and maintain that? Because it's very important for our listeners out there to understand what it takes to become as successful as you have been. Absolutely. Uh, For myself, you know, I I moved from New York City to be a dancer, quite frankly, from Nashville, Tennessee. So I entered, like many of us, real estate through the back door and I had no Rolodex. But I think what I can tell agents is they're trying to break into the business is be true to yourself. I mean, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to make up what I wasn't. I wanted to create what I could be, which was for myself, I mastered the one bedroom market and I was the one bedroom queen. And, you know, from that, I also strive to make New York City a small town. So I focused where I lived, my own backyard. And as far as building my team, I sought individuals that were not in the business because I really wanted to shape them into what I was looking for. And usually I find that the people on my team today, which is a team of eight, are individuals that actually complement my weaknesses and I complement their weaknesses. So we are a well-oiled machine. So basically, you're looking for people who don't have that much experience in the real estate market so you can kind of train them in how to do things the successful way or the right way. I tend to do the same thing. A lot of people who are on my team are fairly brand new. Uh, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. But, you know, you can see the, the, the fruits of that success, you know, over time as it grows. But it's interesting how, because I remember a, a, an agent at Halstead told me you know, I, when I first started that pick something uh, you know, narrow down the playing field, become an expert in something and go from there. Because if you try and take on everything or too much at the same time, it's just not going to work Absolutely. So I'm happy to hear that that's worked for you. Recently at Global Connect, you described the slower market pace as more of a healthy pause. You said, quote, the rise we've experienced since 2014, we can't even keep up with it. So I'm cautiously optimistic. What did you mean by that? Because we have noticed a, a little bit of a transitional situation here in our marketplace in New York City. This correct, year. correct. So if we take a look at the Great Recession, which is the financial uh, meltdown in 2008 and nine, the bottom of the market was 2010. And so really, I could have taken that quote all the way back from 2011. We could not build them fast enough. We could not sell them fast enough. And there was not enough absorption. Developers have had to constantly adjust their acquisitions and the mindset of what they were developing. But as that growth started, people were buying bigger acquisitions. Look at Billion Dollar Row on Central Park South. Those were in the works in 2000 and some of them before the crash and have been restarted. And so I, I think that that pause is a healthy pause because, you know, 
rents have increased 77% in certain parts of Brooklyn, for example, in the last decade. Same thing with Manhattan. And the pause for the high-end luxury means that the million-dollar to $3 million market should be on fire. And that is really who most of our world is. Mm-hmm. But but I have seen in my business that that $1 to $3 million market has kind of slowed as well. So I'm wondering for myself in my business uh, and, and certainly that for the rest of the industry, do you think um, that that's struggling a little bit because of, you know, the the higher Uber end has uh, really come down a bit to, to almost normal levels or wants to come down to normal levels? Because I'm seeing, I agree with you, I think that one to three to four should be um, still on fire, but I, I'm, I'm sensing that it isn't, and I'm wondering what that is all about. I, I would answer that with a bit of a perfect storm that's happening around us globally, and mm. that affects our confidence. Mm-hmm. So we have terrorism in Paris. We have China on, on uncertainty. We have record low interest rates that have continued to inspire first-time buyers and millennials to get into the buying mode, which, by the way, 58% across our country, it's cheaper to own than it is to rent. That is powerful. So there's no doomsday in this pause. My predictions, as I said in January, we had a tough start, but the elongation of a sales cycle is healthy. Healthy. It's a big decision. It's not like you're buying a T-shirt. We're going to talk about that in a bit because you're absolutely correct on that. So let's move to the South Florida and the Miami market claims. 36% of every transaction is foreign. And you compared that to your personal business, which was down about 10 or 15% to then also down less than 10% in foreign transactions. Is it because of what you just said? Because of the the, the threat of terrorism, the, the Chinese market meltdown? It sort of everything stopped from, uh, from that part I, of the world. I wouldn't say – if I, I really look at my business in chunks of decades. I try not to isolate it for predictions. I look at it a longer term. So year over year, if I do 70 to 90 transactions a year, I have 10 to 17% sales of European buyers. Most of those are referrals. If I'm doing a development project, which I've done over 30 of those, and my name's wrapped around a building, they might find me sooner online as opposed to a personal relationship. But um, I think the shift has happened from the 2011 $88 million 15 Central Park West transaction that followed by a number of other international transactions that were placeholders for safe haven of money. This other transaction is not necessarily fleeing funds as much as it is wealthy families building their portfolio. Correct. So if we turn our conversation to more local, okay, we understand what, what I think the, the global market is, is doing right now. You know, why will the areas that I mentioned in the beginning uh, of the piece here become the new hot neighborhoods, the it neighborhoods, neighborhoods in Queens, still a few more in Brooklyn. You know, what is it about these neighborhoods that are, you know, screaming, hey, come look at me. Hey, come watch me. Hey, come and invest in me and, and, and develop of me course. further. What, 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 what drives that? Let's take a look for a second, Vince, at what's happened to our populations. We predicted in 2020 we were going to have 8.6 million people in our five boroughs. We have just reached a 55,000 individuals increased in Manhattan in the five boroughs this past year, bringing us to 8.55. We are almost 
at the 2020 prediction. The great news is it's because it is the greatest city in the world to live in. And people are migrating, suburban, international. We are on a global platform. All of those things are great. The challenge is which I think is great for those boroughs and those new hot neighborhoods and the new frontiers is that rentals, uh, the rental market has increased in the last decade on an average up to 77% in many neighborhoods. Um, The South Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, outer Brooklyn, not Williamsburg, Mm -hmm. but outer Brooklyn Mm -hmm. are opportunities where people who, and developers, quite frankly, they're moving there because we've learned from history you build it, they will come. And a great anchor can be the start of a beautiful community. It's really interesting to me. We're going to go to a break in a minute. But uh, it's interesting to me to watch also as a real estate professional in the business for 15 years now, um, how, you know, we've really pushed the boundaries from, you know, Manhattan proper and and, and the, the very well-known neighborhoods of Manhattan. And we, we've kind of pushed and tugged and pushed and tugged. Absolutely. And now we're to the point where, again, in my, my time in the business, where we're talking about the South Bronx and we're talking about the the outer reaches of Brooklyn and into Queens. And when I hear Jamaica, Queens is going to be the next. It's so exciting to me. It's very exciting. It, it just opens up New York City for what it really is. And, you know, we're considered a melting pot anyway, whatever that means. But the, the, we just continue to push the boundaries out to all of these neighborhoods. And I think it's fascinating. And, I, and I'm encouraged that developers are taking that. And running with it. Anyway, we're going to go to break. We have to, uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. This is Good Morning uh, New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. We are back with Louise Phillips Forbes from uh, Halstead property. So we were talking about some of these up and coming uh, new it neighborhoods in, in, in Queens and in Brooklyn, but in your opinion, where, and you mentioned before the break that developers are pushing their developments out there because they're going to where Absolutely. there's opportunity. Do you know of any specific areas where you're finding more uh, developers heading to you know sooner rather than later, or is it one neighborhood that's moving along faster than another neighborhood? Where are the new developments popping up in some of these areas? There, I mean, if you think about Manhattan, um, 
and all of our boroughs, you know, we are we're not mm-hmm. landlocked. We have water all around us. Mm-hmm. And I think in whether it's Brooklyn, Bronx and Queens, all of those waterfronts are beautiful targets. And, you know, a project like let's start with I'll come back to Queens and Bronx, but let's talk about Brooklyn. You know, an anchor like uh, Pacific Park, the Atlantic Yards. We've heard about this since 2006, mm-hmm. but you're going to have. 2,250 affordable units. You're going to have condominiums, multiple. It's over 22 acres. It's a 10-year project. And I have been, you know, very uh, bullish about moving and breaking those boundaries in within Manhattan for like the East Village or Madison Square, where I built a project where there was no residential, that now every corner is surrounded by residential. So that same anchor that will become a community builder is happening everywhere. So whether it's a hotel starting or retail following, we have come to see that if you build it, they will come. And it's all different scales. Look in the South Bronx. Acquisition land, acquisition sorry, land acquisition is 500 to 600% less. That's not dollars per foot. That's mm. percent mm. less than acquisitions in Brooklyn and Queen. How can you not be attracted to that? You have to keep your, your team employed. It's interesting. So my question then uh, becomes, so where, you know, will the luxury buyers, and we, we all know what luxury means, you know, the, the uber, you know, wealthy, will the luxury buyers, Louise, go to these locations? Like you say, if you build it, people will come. That is 1000% correct. But I'm wondering, you know, what the what the, the, the buyer profile is going to be for some of these developments. I think that's all relative to the individual and what the product is. First of all, let's just talk about what's happened down on the west side of the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, take a look at Superior Inc., which Related did um, earlier in 2012. Um, those Nobody thought that people would really want to spend $13 million for a townhouse-like building, but they tested that market. And um, and you can see that in the last two decades of history that my project at 50 Madison Avenue in 2005, we were 2,600, 2,700 square feet. My developer originally wanted to do three units per floor for that project. And I said, where else can you dangle over a park that's 6.2 acres for $800 a foot. Mm. Today, that's $2,200 a foot. Absolutely. So what what makes a, a downtrodden neighborhood um, hot? And, and what does it take to turn that around? Again, going back to what you said before, if you build it, people will come. And that tends to be what goes on here in New York City. So is it just that? Or is it just because we don't have any place else to go in the proper neighborhoods of New York? I think that's... a. Uh multifaceted um, answer. I think that I can we can look at examples where, you know, my little anchor in the East Village at the Theater for the New City, where they were, the city sold to save this theater, they sold the air rights and they built a 17-foot story building where we had never seen a doorman condominium with mm-hmm. views like that in the fabric of a neighborhood that is low rises. So that project became you know, when that building was built, a little tiny organic grocer opened up, then a little cafe right next to it, and then it basically dispersed where the retail changed. And now 
And other developers followed that. They were using that as a model. And that's going to continue whether it's in Brooklyn, Bronx. And you have to be conservative because a lot of developers sometimes don't want to leave money on the table in their projections. But I take a much more conservative position that, you know, you have to be conservative and find money as time goes on. In your projects. Do you also think that um, some people feel like they're they're being priced out of the marketplace here in Manhattan or in some of the the, the even in some of the areas in Brooklyn for mm. sure. And Brooklyn, absolutely sure. So so they would be pushed to some of these out, outlying areas, the South Bronx or, or Queens, because they want to own a piece of the rock. They want to be part of New York City or the fabric of you know ownership in New York City, and they can't really afford you know some of these areas here. So they they go out to other other um, a more affordable neighborhoods. You have done, I'm sorry, you want to say something? I just wanted to just add to that because I don't feel today you have to live smack dab in the middle of the city to experience Mm -hmm. the pulse, the energy, and the vibrance that this great city offers. And I think we have the entire millennial generation that has really been saying, I don't have to live here. I'm going to live near New York. I'm cool with Queens. I'm cool with, mm-hmm. I don't need to be in Williamsburg. I'll go to Bushwick. Yeah. And they have been that anchor of, of the community that the developers are building to. I'm glad you brought that up because it's been very noticeable in my business as well. You're right. They don't feel like, first of all, we, we call this New York City. It's not just Manhattan. So it's New York City and all of the boroughs that make up New York City. And you're right. I think the millennials have decided that for a whole host of reasons, mainly because they can't afford, you know, uh, where they would ultimately want to live. So they're cool with living anywhere else. And they have made or, or brought these other neighborhoods really to to the map. Uh, Bushwick, you know, all these neighborhoods that uh, Bed-Stuy, it, it's like amazing. When you go there, in just the last year, I have seen a significant change in Bed-Stuy. It's almost unbelievable when I go there and look around. So you've done a lot of new developments, uh, and I, I have followed your career for many years, you know, being so successful watching you and say, how does she do this, whatever. Let me ask you a couple of questions about new development. So, you know, people say to me, what are the advantages of getting into a new development early? Or is it best to kind of wait for the middle? Or is it best to kind of wait for when the developer's almost at the end? Where can I get the best price if I'm shopping new development only? I think this is where pioneers, listen, you can look at history and um, every day I analyze, you know, my own assets, you know, the greatest wealth builder has always been my real estate. And I think it will always be just based on it being my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, so individuals have come to learn that if you're prepared to push the envelope and be a pioneer in a neighborhood, that you can get into these ground up development projects. I find that the, you know, the bigger projects scare me, but sometimes that's the greatest that's the greatest return. So you take risk for being the first guy that signs the contract because then you have the advantage of the time value of money. And by that, I mean Mm -hmm. the time while it's being built, they raise prices after Mm -hmm. 20% sold after the another next 10 sold, they raise the price, whether it's 5,000 of a floor or an apartment or, you know, some large percentage. And, strategically, those on-site marketers like myself, we are strategic and we learn and see what's being received well and is more valuable. And we can adjust that by trickling out um, slower amounts of product. But that's the best opportunity for an individual. It's risky, 
It's risky, and I've I've been on site and I've sold uh, several buildings through the years. And and you're absolutely correct. The time value of money, you know, is is amazing because with each pricing amendment that comes out, you know, you have increases and another increase and another increase. And in some of these buildings, depending on size, you're up to 16 amendments before you know the the development is considered finished or sold out. So, almost by the time the building is sold out, the people who bought first have an opportunity if they want to sell and make some money. In in your particular business, um, do you find that most of your deals are being done in brand new or in resale or a, a mix of, of both? I'm still sort I don't of in think the I'm middle a fair, I don't think I'm a fair analysis of that just because I have such a very diverse business of my own development projects. Um, a As a leader in development, I have a, saw, you know, a, a large number of individuals that want to purchase. I've done nine transactions with one individual who is a single woman who has created and made eight or nine million dollars on her real estate. So I'm not a fair person to say that, but I will say that I have a healthy balance of new development, resale, lots of townhouses. And I, you know, I felt very strongly about knowing a lot about a little. So I focused two decades on New York City proper all over east side west side downtown but you know it really i felt like it was a responsibility to my clients and my buyers and sellers to really start to really understand the, the brooklyn market well you've done that really well as i said i i'm a big fan of yours i followed your successes for many years and we worked at the same company i, I i'm going to read a quote of yours and i really love this i wanted you to explain this a little bit you say i have to constantly remind myself and one of the things that drew me to real estate is that it's a business of people and you go on to say, and I think that is my strength, and I can figure out what makes someone tick and who's making decisions very quickly or not. You know, that is an amazing quote because at the end of the day, we are in this for our customers. We are in this in this profession filled with people. And, you know, obviously to become successful, you have to be able to listen and understand what your people are telling you. Explain that for me, because I thought that was really well said. Sure, sure. You know, I was, as I said, a dancer. I injured myself in the late 80s, and I was slinging drinks in a bar, and a woman said, you would be so good. (laughs) That's a true story. She said, you would be so amazing in real estate. You're so great with people. And I always thought of real estate as brick and mortar, architecture, you know. Absolutely. And as, as I think about my own self, I am such a nester by nature. I mean, I go to a hotel room and I unpack my underwear on one side, my, you know, my workout clothes, my husband, I unpack us all for one night. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I really think about how my whole life ticks is that I, my home is the foundation of the rest of my life. So to be a part of that process for an individual is such a privilege. And so, and I also wasn't comfortable with the idea of, being in a business for money. I needed it to have purpose for me. So so when I get to be of service and I think of it being of service, I truly the rest just took care of itself. How do you how do you translate that to your team members of eight people? As you said before, you you kind of like to mold them and train them to do, you know, successful things as they go through, you know, their career. How do you translate that or or make them understand that that's really the basis or the core of what we do every day and and Starting with family, because we wake up every day with family, we end the day every day with family. That's our base. So how do, how do you transfer that to, to I, your people? I think that my experience with my individuals that I have, that I connected with them with the chemistry first. Sometimes I didn't even have a position for them on my 
team, mm. but that it was like you you eyeball an individual and feel that I look at them and I'm when I see the amount of money that they're making these days, I'm so proud to have been a part of that. Mm-hmm. To they these are people that have many children. This is their I've given them a career that is not just a job because they take on my business as though it's theirs, and it is because mm-hmm. I couldn't be and do what I do every day right. without them buying into my philosophy. Mm-hmm. And you, you certainly don't have the time or the energy to be spread out so far because then you're not going to be doing uh, service to your to your client base. So, you know, I always ask my guests at the end, so what's next for you? I mean, you, you have, again, I've watched you for the 15 years that I'm in this business, being in the same company uh, for a while, and I've watched your success. I know how you work, and I see how you conquer what you set out to do. What's mm-hmm. next for you? Do you have any future, you know, challenges that you want to take on or... Always. I mean, I would love to do a little more radio. So thanks so much for having me because I, <laughs> love, I love pra- I love practicing. Um, but I guess I want to continue to be the best leader within my team. I want to continue to perfect my experience in, as, a, as an advisor to my developers, to my buyers, my sellers. I, I, I entrench myself in their lives because the most, for the most part, they're my they're in my personal relationship in a daily way. So I also, um, right now, I have two development projects that I'm going to be wrapping up, 498 West mm-hmm. End Avenue, um, which is on 84th and West End. I'm excited because one of the greatest things about my development projects are how the communities that are that, that come together because of that one particular, that brick and mortar. And lastly, uh, and I have a project in Tribeca that I'm wrapping up, but I'm looking forward to, you'll probably see me a little bit in Brooklyn, and you'll probably see me a little bit in Harlem. Um, I, I just want to keep trying to be the best that I can be and do what I love. Well, my friend, you do do that every day. As far as I'm concerned, we have to go to break, but I want to say thank you, Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead for joining us today. Please come back and visit us anytime. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. 
We're back. Once again, thank you to Louise Phillips-Forbes for joining us this morning. She is a force to be reckoned with, and I've been following her career for many, many years, uh, and she's got it going on. I want to say good morning to Rachel, Niall, and Matt. Good, good morning. morning. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. Doing well, huh? Beautiful day in New York City. Weren't you just traveling or something? I thought you were going to be back late. Yeah. From out of town? Yeah, I just came back from South Carolina, Hilton Head, for the PGA Tour. Oh, Heritage Classic. Yeah. Love that place. Beautiful. And you're back from Florida. Absolutely. Tough lives. Yeah. I'm back from Jersey. And you're back. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It was a schlep, let me tell you. <laughs> that works. <laughs> and I never left, so oh. I'm still here. What I actually went to go visit my dad's grave at 20 year anniversary of his passing. Oh. So it was really nice to, to see him. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people go visit the cemetery as much as they should. You know something? It's interesting. My mother will, you know, not be happy with this, but I haven't <laughs> seen my father's grave in 20 years. I mean, Bob, I haven't gone into Go. You know, and it's right in the same town where my mom lives. I just have a thing about doing that. I People can't. who avoid it like the doctor. Yeah. And they really don't yeah. want to go. But I'm telling you, it it does change you. No, it does. I think a visit a every way. once in a while does kind of connect you back to whatever. Well, know. mostly because you picture yourself as it being below the ground and you want people to visit you. And that's what's nice about the Jewish religion is that you put rocks on the grave and you can see who's loved by how many rocks they have. And so I just wanted to bring like 47 rocks and put them on my dad's grave. It was. And rocks was, don't die like flowers. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Jews know what they're talking exactly. about. <laughs> Amen, Matt. Yeah. Well, there you have it. I didn't yeah. think about that. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking rocks on a grave. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Because there's mm-hmm. something about permanence there yeah. that the rock doesn't just yeah. blow away like flowers. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So yeah. um, we're going to start off with, you know, opinion. So if there's anyone out there who doesn't love the look of exposed brick, and I've said this for years, I'm a huge exposed brick person. Yeah, we have not found them. Whether you're settling into a space with four walls of them or just a single wall uh, into uh, your apartment, it seems that brick is on everyone's design wish list lately and with good reason, I think. But but the amount of people have been asking me for exposed brick lately it far surpasses any any other time past that they've done that so i'm kind of wondering what's up anyway nothing looks quite as homey and old-fashioned and in a city with ever-growing roster of ultra modern new developments it comes as a welcome change of pace what is your opinion on well first of all let me ask you do you prefer if you had the choice in an apartment whether you're buying or renting to have exposed brick all over or on one wall or are you just not a fan of it at all what, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I love it too, but only in an accent wall. Not a whole thing. Not the entire place. No. Yeah. Yes, correct. I'm um, the exact same thing. If yep. I had one nice wall of exposed brick, absolutely. One decorative fireplace or one wood-burning <laughs> fireplace, one accent wall of exposed brick, and then everything else is just modern. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect well, apartment. That's the perfect Well, apartment. there you go. That would be a perfect apartment because I was going to agree with Matt as well. I like just one wall because then I feel like I'm in a box. I've seen you know places out in, in Dumbo and, and a few other uh, neighborhoods where it's all brick and it's just a little... Except I have claustrophobic, to, I think. I have to say though, just the natural exposed brick. Because I went to a new development two weeks ago in Long Island City, and the developer put on this fake exposed brick. Yeah, and it, it, it just looked plastic. You can smell it fake. Didn't, it didn't yeah, look great. No. You know, yeah. I don't understand. That's like that. engineered flooring. It's yeah. like don't do it. No. My mother in the seventies had a whole wall in our entrance foyer of white exposed fake brick. I mean, it was like two inches wide and they my father doesn't glued it to the wall it was a whole big thing in the 70s and you know when you looked at it i knew it was fake of course when people came in maybe for the first time didn't think so but it was ugh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. white brick with white grout white fake grout oh, 
yeah, absolutely. So but, but you know, wallpaper, white, white. And then, <laughs> wallpaper that looked like brick. <laughs> then, then, no, then, then there was the flock wallpaper. You know uh, that, that it was. Uh, but oh, the, listen, the '70s were known for lots of things, and and de- decorating ideas were not mm-hmm. one of them anyway. Moving on, let's talk about condos and condo conversions because a lot of people say to me all the time. So, what is the difference between a brand new, you know, uh, built? Uh, condo versus a building that's been either a rental building or whatever and converted. What's the difference between, let's explain to the listening audience uh, what the differences are between a ground up and a, and a um, conversion, conversion or condominium. I guess I can start. Um, so if you have a ground up development, you got to understand that the, just like the, where it originates from. So the developer has to buy the land and mm-hmm. then develop it up from the ground, mm-hmm. you know, do the, uh, excavating down the underpinnings and then and then build up and that that is a lot of money to build on a price per square foot basis. Um, a lot of times when you have a rental building on the on the other hand, which is already a building for example, or um, you know could be a yeah, rental building or a bunch of stabilized units, they can uh, convert that to a condominium. So the building in the structure already exists. So um, for the developer, the cost to do that process is, is less expensive than a full ground-up project. Um, and I think to answer the question, a lot of times those come in at a little bit lower of a price point um, because it is an existing structure than something that has been um, built from the ground up. And as we've talked about many times, you know, the, the cost of land or the price of land today in New York City is exactly. so high so that when developers take on the purchase of and then the build out, you know, you're adding to the price per square foot. And, and sometimes it, you, know, you have no choice. Because people ask me all the time, you know, will I save money if I buy in a condo conversion? And I think, you know, and I'll answer that uh, probably it's a little less expensive than a ground up. But, you know, I've seen where that but goes. The monthly. So the tax, <clears throat> the taxes are usually lower in the ground up because Correct. of the abatements. And so they kind of balance out. Conversions are typically higher monthlies. Um, and a lot of buyers, we have to educate them on that J51 and 421A abatement. Mm-hmm. That and, it only applies to ground-up buildings. Correct. And yeah. people are still out there looking for that. I have a couple of resales right now in a, in a building that still has a 421A for another four or five years. Uh, and I tell you, people are out there looking for that because even if it's only another four years of tax savings per month, it's something. So, you know, and it's attractive to them when they're purchasing. What What is the difference between, you know, uh, maintenance and a co-op? Because I get this question asked me all the time. Maintenance and a co-op and common charges in a condominium. They're both monthly, you know, maintenance type charges, but there are differences between both and I think significant in some cases. So what what how do we explain to our, our buyers what the differences are? Well, the prime difference is just the real estate taxes. Of course, in your maintenance and a co-op, the real estate taxes are built in, which is why when you take a buyer or when you're showing a buyer a co-op, you always should talk about the tax deductibility. Um, tax deductibility, absolutely. That's what I want you to get at. Go ahead. Right, which is where, you know, and then condos, of course, you have your common charges separate from your real estate taxes. But because the taxes are built into your co-op maintenance, you're going to have a certain tax deductibility at the end of the year, which is always important when your attorney is doing their due diligence to figure out exactly what that is and the tax benefits that you'll get from it. I think, too, just a really quick point to add on top of that. It, it's a very, especially when buyers are uh, beginning the process in learning what's going on in New York City real estate, when you see two numbers common charges and real estate taxes, that's a clear identifier that it's a condominium. Mm-hmm. When you see one number and then what the percent tax deductibility is, that's a co-op right. where that's the right. one maintenance As charge. a broker, you have to be very careful in quoting tax deductibility. 
So you can say approximately land leases are usually lower tax deductibility. So you have to be very careful. Uh, Managing agents aren't um, super helpful in getting, getting that information and sellers don't normally know. And so when buyers ask, a broker has to be very careful. So we'll say approximately 50%, which it usually is. It's but Rachel, let me ask you something because that's a very good point and, yeah. and, and I, I struggle with it as well. Yeah. Um, so how how do we realistically find out what that tax deductibility is? Because you're right, the sellers sometimes don't have a clue uh, mm-hmm. and, and they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, managing agents sometimes aren't that helpful. So mm-hmm. where do we get, and if we look at our listing systems, I mean, the, the numbers in there are always wrong because mm-hmm. uh, that that deductibility percentage moves from time to time. How do we find out really what that number is? Because attorneys want to know and buyers want to know. Right. And it's totally valid. I usually say, let me check my system. Five times out of 10, it's in our system where you have the tax deductibility, um, which I still say approximately because you can't mm-hmm. believe the system always. Um, but then I, I, if I can't find that information, I say, listen, you know, the financials and offering plan and, and board minutes will be provided to your attorney and they will do the due diligence and you can confirm through your attorney. And that's really what a broker in New York City has to do in order to protect themselves and the seller. Let me ask you guys, uh, Louise Phillips, uh, Forbes and I were talking about new developments. She's uh, very big in new developments. Have you seen in your businesses, I guess in the, in the, since 2016 began, any change in um, people's opinions or attitudes when deciding to buy new development or not? In other words, is your business geared more lately towards new development or more towards your traditional resale? Or, it, or any changes at all? It varies all the time, but I definitely would say that my clients love something that's new, a new product that no one's lived in before. The biggest difference, though, this year, I would say, is that my clients in the past few years never would even question all the closing costs, would never question paying the sponsor's fees like you normally have to in a new development. But this year, everyone reads the news. Everyone reads the press about new developments and high-end market steadily decreasing and declining. And I find that all of my clients try to go to these new developments and if they, absolutely, if they love mm-hmm. it, either lowball the sale price, but more importantly, if that's not an option, say that they're not going to cover the sponsor fees. Yeah. And more and more, I'm finding that the developers accepting it because they're a little worried. Yep. Yep. Well, as Deborah says, one of our panelists says all the time, you know, uh, quoting Barbara Corcoran, there's a seller's market, a buyer's market, and a transitional market. And I think we've all determined over the past couple of weeks that we are in this transitional market, not quite sure where it's going to go on what what direction. But I think what Matt said is, is correct. And I think if the developers are not yet willing to come down on the purchase line, and, and oftentimes they're not, I think there are concessions, as Rachel talks about all the time. You know, on the seller side, and whether it's the seller's attorney, and whether it's the transfer taxes, and whether it's the mansion tax, and whether it's all of the above. I mean, I've sold new developments for years, and sometimes we gave in on all of those line items, and sometimes one or two. This is a market, as you said, that um, people are starting to think that, and a lot of it is because it's press written, and a lot of it is because buyers are starting to feel like things are changing just a little bit, and probably rooting for the market to turn to their side. I think more than ever, this market is is requiring brokers to provide feedback from showings more than ever. So I have a development on the Bowery. Sure. We've done everything. Cover the New York Times recently, which is so great. I mean, how can you do better Saw than that? that? <laughs> um, and we've done everything. And so when we do a showing, we provide the feedback 
um, which I find is helpful when you're asking for a price reduction or for the developer paying a concession. Um, so now we're 50% sold and we're closing two this month. So it's it's really a different market. Like you were saying, Matt, like it really requires so much more work for the broker. Developments aren't going to sell themselves anymore. All right. We have to go to break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. We are back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to Rachel Altschuler from Douglas Elliman, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. We are in this business for a long time. We all know that hunting for a New York City apartment is never a process anyone would likely describe as leisurely. But for a certain subset of renters or buyers, the process is even more frenetic than usual. Whether you're looking to relocate and come to town for a few days to find your new home or simply find yourself having to leave your rental at the last minute, sometimes the search can get set to high speed and take pace over the course of a single crazy weekend. So not that it can't be done, just as the process can be stretched out to fill a longer period of time if you don't have a gun to your head. So my question is, is it possible to find a rental or a sale in this town of ours that we love so dearly in a weekend? We've all had that broker call saying, hey, I only have my buyer in town for the weekend. I got to show this apartment. They really like this apartment. Can this happen? I mean, our wish list is yes. That is a good question. I think you can. I think that 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 question where some the broker calls you if you have a listing and says, "Oh, I got my client in town," and this love and that. that question. That's great, but no, they're full of shit. A lot of times they're just trying to get the appointment <laughs> exactly. Fast. Fill up the schedule. Fill exactly. up the schedule. Fill up the <laughs> schedule. Suddenly they're so, available on Monday. Yeah. yeah. I'll you always know. test them and say, if they're only here for two days and they give me one time, I'll say, well, I can't do that time, but I'll, I could do this time. Yeah. Uh-huh. And if they say, okay, that one works, then I, it's real. But yeah. if they say they can't, yeah. I'm like, I just had yeah. this this weekend. I just had this this weekend. And all of a sudden, yesterday was Monday. She called and said, oh, you know, I was able to keep my buyer here for one more day because they really, uh, really want to see sure. that apartment. I said, oh, that's really sure. right. Okay. What time would you like to see it? I mean, you know, and we showed it. Of course, you know, who knows where it's going to go. But all weekend long, have to get in, have to get in, have to get in, have to get in. Because no one else will show on a Saturday. 
unless unless it's an open house on a Sunday. So you got to beg. And I can't blame them for begging. It's fine. But I've done it. Yeah. You know, we've all done we've it. We've all done we, it. We've, we've, had to do it. we've all been there. Exactly. So that's why, you know, there's two sides of it. But but in, in honesty or reality, can someone find an apartment in a weekend? Whether they're here for, you know, just a couple of days or not, they live here and they have themselves on a very short two or three day window. They can identify the property. Right. Rental or sale. Right. But they can't exactly move into it so mm. it's a tricky question because yeah you can totally find something over a weekend but the rental process probably is more difficult than the sale process um, it, it, to be honest with you especially days. co-ops and condos but if you find a rental building give yourself I would say 72 hours three to four days comfortably um, but one or two days really tricky in the city for a rental sale obviously a whole different story Right after exploring 10 of the most important homes in American history, PBS's ongoing series 10 That Changed America continues with a survey of the 10 parks that proved huge influential on urban planning in the United States. So 10 parks really changed the face of New York City or certain you know aspects of New York City and, or all around the country. And unsurprisingly, two New York City parks have ended up on the list, Central Park and Riverside Park. Isn't that something? Uh, I'm sorry, the High Line. And while the influence of both is irrefutable, their inclusion is interesting because the two could not be more diametrically opposed. The High Line Park considered a park or a central park. So for our listeners out there, what is it about these two parks that are so such a draw? Living on Central Park, living by the High Line. I mean, there are buildings in Chelsea that were built and, and positioned to be right on the High Line for specific reasons. What, what's it about, you know, the parks that are so intriguing? Well, Central Park's just <clears throat> an obvious one with its history and, you know, just living in the urban environment in New York City. It's the one green that everyone can take for, you know, take a walk, take a run, go biking, East side play and west tennis. Side. Yeah. yeah, from yeah. anywhere. Yeah. From you know, yeah, right, exactly. From the west side, from the east side, from the south side, from from Harlem, from the north side. But um I think the High Line is what's most interesting because it really created such a such a just mess of attention. But Highline, um, I feel like, is more hype. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's trendy. Uh, Riverside should be on that. Riverside should be, and I thought you it know? was. And so I, I mentally said Riverside because yeah, I, I think that it should be there. Right. I live on Riverside Park. I'm not quite sure I understand the draw of the Highline. I mean, it's architecturally, I guess, you know, pleasing to look up at those old train tracks and see, you know, parks and trees and flowers. But... I have to admit, as a New Yorker, I've walked it once, and I said, just like I did when I went to Disneyland, did it, been there, done that, mm-hmm. not interested in exactly. doing it again. I don't find, because that's a park to me, and I wouldn't even call it a park, but people are just constantly walking back and forth, walking back and forth. In Central Park, in Riverside Park, you can have a picnic, you can lay down a blanket, you can walk the dog. I mean, you can do a whole bunch of things that you can't really do up on that High Line. So I'm kind of surprised at this. I feel like people are shocked to find like a bush in Chelsea. Like, is that what it's about? Like, <laughs> I'm they're surprised like, that the High Line didn't identify There's no a green park. anywhere. Right. Down right. I was going to say That's that. It's not a park. It's really not a park to me. But hey, you know what? If it's on the list, it must say, I mean, I mean maybe we're a, wrong. As a New Yorker, I agree. But I think as a tourist, the High Line's very cool. Yeah, I think that, sure. you know, being able to walk up and down it and it has amazing views. I, yeah. You get I, to see I all totally these agree. incredible, you know, residential buildings. It's like a moving Zaha. escalator. I feel like I'm but, at the um, airport on one of those moving move, ground things yeah. because when you're up there, you're constantly moving and it's like, no, I don't want to move. I want to sit. But the I whole concept of a whatever. park is that you're not crowded and bumping into people and yeah. dealing with yeah. the Nansa Magilla that but we all are. deal with. But, but you are. So that's not a park. 
in a park, I don't want to. I want to be like at least twenty feet away from everybody. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want somebody right here. That's my exactly. Thing. That's why I don't take trains. <laughs> anyway, it feels like you've been searching forever, yet still can't find the perfect three-bedroom apartment. Maybe it's time for to find two separate units close together and merge them together in order to build your dream home. So, Douglas Elliman's Rachel Altshuler, our friend here, oh. and her partner Nadia tell you oh. all about the need. Uh, what you need to know, rather, about combining Thanks apartments. Thanks for the plug. In Brick Underground's latest um, article. So <laughs> let's discuss the merits, the disadvantages, and then the advantages of combining apartments because there are some disadvantages. I've already said so much at Brick Underground, so I'll let the boys answer that. <laughs> well, congrats on your article. Thanks. It was well, a summary. I, <laughs> it was a quick summary. I didn't read the article. It was a well, great article. shame on you. <laughs> Put it on Facebook. Oh, you did? Yes. <laughs> I got to really check that out more often. Yes, actually, you did. You're right. <laughs> But, but but truthfully, though, people think, oh, I'm going to buy the apartment next door or the apartment above or, or below, and I'm going to combine them. I'm going to achieve the space that I'm looking for because I can't find it, you know, in just an apartment search out there. So that's an advantage. You can, you can create your own space. But there are some disadvantages that people aren't aware of. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, your maintenance is extremely high because what happens is they combine your current maintenance mm-hmm. with the new with the second apartment's maintenance. You don't get a discount because now you're one apartment. You're still paying two maintenance fees per month to the co-op board or the mm-hmm. condo board. And sometimes that could be a lot more money. Exactly. So, you know, that's a problem. And then, you know, the other disadvantages that you can clearly come up with are, you know, uh, design issues and construction issues and building, de- I mean, uh, de- development delays. One thing, one thing to keep in mind, I just had a recent, I sold a co-op on the east side, I'd probably say, I don't know, three years ago. And my buyer recently uh, reached out to me. It was a combination unit. It was actually with the broker we were speaking about earlier. And um, <laughs> my, my buyer opted to go with an attorney that was free because he was on the softball Oof, team together wrong. with. I advised against it. He said, I Thanks. need to do it. This is what I'm going to go for. He called me up, I'd say like two months ago, and he said, hey, just want to let you know, um, apparently the, the city reached out and said apparently that the, the two uh, units had not been officially combined. So through the DOB. Through the DOB. Oh. There's yeah. an open permit. Uh, and he's running into a huge yeah. dilemma right now. The attorney right now. never found that. The attorney never found that. Because he didn't do anything he, for zero dollars. didn't do anything. Exactly. Um, and now there's an assessment and all this other stuff. And he's calling me up going, how could this happen? I said, you know, speak to the attorney. That's the one who runs the diligence on that. Um, and it's a big problem. So just keep in mind when you're buying a combination apartment to make sure that you're you're hiring a proper attorney who does Even though you're an existing diligence. shareholder in the building, exactly, it's he, still important. So he's going to have to go back, hire an expediter, mm-hmm. go to the, have have the expediter go to DOB. It's going to cost roughly ten grand <clears throat> yep. to get this done. And right. and and there's no guarantees on that either. And by the way, I just had to, I had that a couple of times in the last couple of years. One of them was with uh, a listing. I lost the listing because we, in our you know uh, analysis up front. Uh, determined that it was combined, but it wasn't officially signed off by the mm, DOB. Exactly. And we couldn't list it. The building wouldn't let us list it. Mm-hmm. Why the delay? I don't remember anymore. It was a few years back, but we could not list that apartment. And then the second one was uh, we. I was with a buyer, and we identified an apartment that he liked, and we put an offer in. And as we were going through the due diligence, found the same thing. Uh, can't trade this apartment because it's not legally uh, signed off on, blah, blah, blah. We lost the opportunity. So that was the end of that. Yeah. 
Um, you know, so you got to be very careful with combinations. You know, again, you can achieve the space. You can achieve a whole lot of things. Some people want to stay in their building because they really like their building. They want to stay in their neighborhood because they really like and their neighborhood. And the stress of moving is a big factor. Of course, people choose to go through all of that mm-hmm. just so they don't have to move. Um, but if you're doing major construction, you typically have to do short-term housing anyway. So it is kind of well, tedious. Well, I was going to point yeah. that out because oftentimes people attempt to live in their apartments while they're fixing up the other side, so to mm-hmm. speak, and it turns out to be a disaster. I lived through a renovation of my own once, and I will never do that again. Mm. On that note, we have to say goodbye. That is Good Morning New York for this week. Thanks for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or vincerocco.com for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.